thank you for taking the time to listen to this life-changing message from the ministry of Faith Bible Chapel. We hope this message will encourage you in all parts of your life. At the end of this message, you will hear more information on how to contact our church family, as well as directions for you to visit us for any of our worship services. Until then, join us for the service in progress. We'll continue with a series called um, The Summer of Parables. And we've been looking at the, pa the passage of the prodigal son, which Jesus talked about in Luke 15. Last week we looked at what was, God, what was Jesus trying to communicate about God the Father, that he was a father that welcomed the prodigal son home. Prodigal son said, Dad, the heck with you. I'm out of here. I want your money. I don't want you. I wish you were dead. Give me, give me my inheritance. And he ran off to the wild, wild west, and he, and he spent his money on the Vegas Strip. He did everything he wanted to do. He had girls and booze and gambling, and he found himself in a pig's pen. Usually those three things lead to the pig's pen anyway. But there you go. So he ended up there, and he came to his senses, and he said, what did I do? And he repented before God. He said, God, I'm sorry. I've totally messed it up. And he turned his life, and he began to go back to his father. He was trying to reason with himself, you know, this is what I'll do. I'll tell dad I'll be his servant. I'll do this. I'll just maybe work in his fields. I, I, I know he won't accept me back as a son, but at least I can get back home where I know it's safe. So he turns and starts coming home. His father sees him from a distance, and which is amazing because it meant the father was looking for the lost son. He, he had never rested. He probably stopped every evening to look down the lane and say, is he coming? Well, this night he saw him. And when the father saw him, that he was coming home, he ran to him and he met him. And he restored to him. He gave him a robe. He gave him sandals. He gave him a ring. And the son's trying to plead with him. I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. The father totally ignored everything he was saying. He embraced him. He accepted him back. And he threw, he was getting ready to throw him a party. Now, that would be wonderful if it ended there. But it actually doesn't. The parable goes on, and so I want to talk to you about the parable of the other prodigal son. We're going to be in Luke chapter 15 today, so if you have your Bibles, you can pull that out, look at it. But before we, before we get there, I came across a painting that really depicts this parable. It's a beautiful painting. One of the most well-known paintings of the prodigal son is a Rembrandt, but this one, I think, encapsulates the whole parable within one picture inspired a Spanish artist from the 17th century. His name is Barta Lemay Esteban Murillo. And I want you to look at this picture just for a moment. And in this picture, you see the whole, the whole, the whole thing unfolding, the story unfolding. The prodigal son runs home. The father is embracing him. His clothes are tattered. They stink. He's unshaven. His, his hands are clasped as in begging, will you please take me back? Because he doesn't know if the father's going to take him back or not. Because in his mind, he wouldn't take himself back. Here you have these servants who are, one's bringing the robe, and you see the sandals are on this platter here. This servant is holding the ring, and it's just, just amazing, and the servants are there to serve. And, and you see this guy over here, he's, this kid's pulling the, the calf along the way, because this is the fatted calf. And then you see the fatted calf's doom, which is this axe right up here, actually. So you see the full story. Get ready to go. He's, this is the chef. He's going to go have a barbecue. It's going to be wonderful. But... If you look back in the shadows, does anyone else see, see another character? You see a little face up there in the right-hand corner. 
And this face is depicting the elder brother. It's depicting the elder brother that we're going to read about today. So if you have your Bibles, Luke 15, we're going to be starting in verses 22. Actually, we'll be in verse 25, my bad. So verse 25, remember the first half of this happened, the first act of this story happened. The son rebelled. The son came to his senses. The son came home. The father didn't reject him. The father took him home. And we saw really what God was like last week. Beautiful picture of that. Now let's pick up in verse 25, the second half of the story. Meanwhile, just like in like a movie, like meanwhile, back at the ranch. There you go. We went back. The older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him, hey, what's going on? Verse 27, your brother has come. And your father has killed the fatted calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry. Look, at, look how he responded to that great news. The older brother became angry and he refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you. I've never disobeyed your orders. Yet you've never gave me even a young billy goat. Well, it doesn't say billy goat, but I put it in there. <laughs> so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes here, comes home, you kill the fatted calf for him? Like, what's your problem, Dad? And the father responds in verse 31, my son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate. Listen to that. We had to celebrate and be glad. Because your brother, this brother of yours, was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he's found. Let's pray before we get into this. Lord, we opened your word. We read it. We believe it's going to speak to you, speak to us. We believe it's going to change us. We believe it's going to challenge us. We believe it's going to encourage us. We believe we're going to leave here different than how we came in. We're not going to come in and check the box of church and then go home exactly the same. We're going to be changed and transformed. No matter where we are in our journey, you're going to speak to us today because you love us. So, Lord, let these words be your words. And those words that are not, let them go silent into our ears. In Jesus' name, we all say. Amen. So I want to look at that little face in the shadows today. I'm going to look at his life. I just don't want to look at his life. I want us to look at the elder brother and ask this question, is there any of the elder brother in you? Listen, I've had all week to wrestle with this, so I'm, I'm, I've recovered. Sorry, guys. <laughs> I'm a recovering elder brother. But this is your first time. So I want to ask the question, do you have any of that guy hanging out in the shadows in you? You know, even though this, this elder brother had never left home physically, he obviously had a dysfunctional relationship with his dad, with his father, and with his younger brother because he didn't give a rip his brother was home. And the, actually, the older brother, I would say, re re represents a lot of religious folks 
who feel as though actually they haven't sinned against God by running off to the, wild, to the wild and living it that way. They think, you know what, forget it. I'm not like that person. I'm so much better. And the characteristics of an older brother actually are not about age at all. At all, they're not about age. It's about an attitude. It has to do with when it comes to celebrating what God is doing in the lives of others. That's when the elder brother syndrome comes into play. Older brothers don't rejoice. Actually, they stand back in the shadows, questioning everything that's really going on, everything that the father's doing, everything the servants of the father are doing, everything the household is doing. They question it all. Now, there might be people in, not in this church, but I've heard in other churches that have people who have the elder brother syndrome. I have a friend who's a pastor that he said he knows a friend who's a pastor that has a church that has these people in it. And I would actually say that there are probably people in other churches that are guilty of the older brother syndrome much more than the younger brother's sin. They look good on the outside. Now remember as we step into this, this parable is actually to examine all of us. Jesus is challenging all of us on what we need to do. And how we need to live our lives. He's actually wanting to reshape completely the way that the hearers, the audience, those who are standing there listening to Jesus talking, how they see others and they see God and they see themselves. So he's telling this story to help reshape their mindset because Jesus revolutionized everything. Jesus kind of blew up the, the paradigm. Interesting enough that when days of Christianity, Rome called Christians atheists. I don't know if you know this or not. Rome called Christians atheists. It wasn't, they couldn't call it a religion because the teachings of this Christianity were so crazy compared to everything else. So they said they, they must not know God at all, so they're atheists. Because Jesus' teachings were so revolutionary, and that's what he's doing. He's reshaping the heart and mind of everyone that's listening. So I want to talk to you about the characteristics of an elder brother. It's, so, it's interesting also to know that Jesus spent his time. It seems like from one parable to another parable to another parable, he's addressing the same thing. He's addressing these, these sinners and he's addressing the religious sinners, both sinners. And so since he, he used this story to talk about the same two people, this different story talking about the same two people, this other story talking about the same two people, sometimes I think what Jesus is saying, sometimes we need to hear the message more than once to get it. So he must have known us very, very well. And so we're going to look at this today. So I want to look at the characteristics of an elder brother. Now remember, after working all day in the field, the older brother arrives in his house only to hear what's a big party going on. They had karaoke music. They were, they were, you know, it was Uncle Bob singing off tune again. It's like, oh, gosh, what's, what's going on? And when he learned there was a party, his first reaction, he became angry. Not that he was happy. His brother, who was gone, was back. But he was, he was for lack of better words, he was ticked off. And he refused to enter the celebration. And his attitude and the statements, we can find actually three symptoms of an elder brother syndrome. And so let's just ask the question, do we have any of them? And the first one is this. 
One of the symptoms is an angry spirit of grumbling. Actually, verse 28 tells us he became angry. The word here for angry is he went into a crazy rage. He kicked the dog, probably pushed the servant, knocked over a fence. He was, took a rock and threw it against something. And I, maybe it came back and hit him. I don't know. But he was, just, he was just ticked off. He was out of control. Anybody been around someone who just, just flipped out one day and just started doing that? But he thought he was right. And he said this, I've never left home and spent all my money on prostitutes. You've never even killed a, a little, little goat for me. You know, can you hear him? Can you hear him whining about, you know, just kind of an earshot away from the, from the house he's out there? Come on, Dad, what's your problem? I mean, to understand this, it was a big deal to kill a calf at the time. Mainly because the society at the time were mainly vegetarians because they didn't have cattle farms. So when you killed a calf, it was for celebration always. So you just wouldn't like hang out and do a little barbecue with your family in the back. You invited the neighbors. You invited your friends. You invited family. It was a, it was a, a proper party. You had, you had, you know, party planners going on, putting all these things together, setting the tables, inviting everyone. But really, what was happening here is the older brother was saying this. He was talking to his father. He was saying this. How dare you use our wealth and resources on this dude? How dare you use our wealth and resources on this situation? I think he was saying this. I have obeyed you, so I should have some say on what goes on around here. He's insulting his father. Even in Luke 29, he says something that, listen, if I would have said as a, uh, as a young man to my father, it would not have been pretty. He said this, look. Now, we all have, now I haven't. Many of you have raised teenagers. How many of your teens would get away with this? Well, look, Dad. I don't think so. It would be like grabbing an ear and toss him into his room. He's totally disrespecting his father. And this day, you never spoke to your father that way. He was, no, he was your master. What he, what he said went, period. He publicly humiliated his father because his father's still in the party. And he's standing outside pouting like a little baby. I'm not going in there. You shouldn't be doing that. So, see, I'm going to show everyone in there that I don't agree with what you're doing. Now, sometimes church people can maybe get jealous as well sometimes. Church people can get jealous when a, maybe a church starts paying attention to new people. Maybe when they start finding new ways to reach more people or to do their best to fulfill the great commission and reach the lost, not in another country, but in our own city, in our own neighborhoods. What we, what we offer at, at church to reach those who don't know Jesus yet. That's the older brother syndrome. You can, re you can recognize an older, older, older brother Christian because they're actually quick to grumble and complain very quickly. Older brothers, actually, they miss the forest because of the trees. Because everything that they, they walk into a room and the first thing they see is what's wrong with it. The first thing they notice is what's not happening. 
That this is this way. Why is this going on? How come of that? And I can't do this when that's happening. And the, immediately, they don't walk in the room and say, you know what, man? Gosh, God's presence is here. Man, what a great church. I love these people. You know, it would be, maybe it would be better if we did this a little differently. There's nothing wrong with criticism. It's when that criticism is all you ever have. Older brother syndrome. Because you miss the, the forest because of the one tree that you're looking at. Older brothers are more really concerned about their preference, what I want. They know the Father, but they quickly forget that the Father sent his son Jesus to die a gruesome death on a cross for the whole world, for everybody. In a room of 2,000, if the elder brother was here, he'd be thinking about one person in that room, him. Older brother syndrome actually never is happy. It always seems to find things that are wrong. On a side note, a little funny story is, I heard a story about a Sunday school teacher who told the story of the prodigal son. So she walked him through the whole story. She told him about the prodigal returning, the father hugging his son, the father putting a ring and shoes and a robe, and he killed the fatted calf. But the older son refused to join the party, and after the story was over, it was question time, so she goes, boys and girls, and she was just reviewing with them, who was not happy because of the prodigal son's return, knowing that they're going to say the older brother, but one little boy raised his hand, and he goes, definitely the fatted calf was not happy. <laughs> not happy at all. <laughs> Funny. But the older brother wasn't happy either. Here's the question for all of us. Do we have that characteristic in us? You know, it doesn't do any good, actually, to start thinking of, of, of everyone else. Because when I start, first started doing this, I first started thinking, well, I know people like that. The right appropriate question is this. This is what Jesus would want all of us to ask. Is it me? Do I have... Some of him in me. Second characteristic of an elder brother is this. It's an inflated sense of goodness. An inflated sense of goodness. Remember again the audience that Jesus is talking to. There are Pharisees. There are sinners. There are tax collectors. And what's amazing about this, just how clever Jesus is. He's perfect in his communication. Jesus is telling the story that kind of pulls back the curtains on everyone's heart. And they're left there bare and with their hearts exposed. He's wanting actually them to come to a place of self-discovery. Of their self-righteousness. Now he could have started calling them out. Hey Pharisee Ezra. Yep, I'm talking about you and... Micah and Hezekiah and, yep, Isaiah, yep, I'm talking about all of you. But he didn't do that. He wanted to tell a story. Because he knew if they saw themselves in the story, if they finally, this light switch went off, they thought, wait a minute, that's me. 
If they could self-identify themselves, then they'd actually have a better chance of changing. That's what the same story does for us today. When you read it and you think, oh, that's somebody else. Yep, that's somebody. Yep, that prodigal son. Yep, that elder brother. Then by the end of it, you go, oh, gosh, that's me. Jesus is talking about me. And one of the characteristics is this inflated sense of goodness. It can be found in verse 29. He actually exaggerated his own goodness, and he exaggerated the brother's wickedness. Five times he used the the first personal pronoun. Look at this. All these years, I've been slaving for you. I never disobeyed you. You never gave me a goat so I could celebrate with my friends. And then he compared himself to his brother. It was like he was saying, and this little brat goes off, spends all your money, he comes back and you throw a party. Real nice, Dad. It was very interesting about this passage. Since all these years I've been slaving for you, I've never disobeyed you. You think that's true? There's no way he's been totally obedient to his father all those years. But in his mind, when he compared himself to his filthy, rotten brother, he's, he's, he has been perfect over all these years. He was proud of his goodness. The brother was full of eye. He couldn't see the repentance and the restoration of his brother because he was so blinded by him. He was blinded to everything else except for one thing, his own feelings, what I feel, what I think. What I prefer. It's easy for us to look at the sins of those who are open and who are vulgar and think that we're so much better than, than them. But the reality is this remember, there are secret sins of the Spirit. There are secret sins of the Spirit, of our souls. And here's the reality. We all have them. We all have secret sins. It's much easier to always think about those who see. Well, look, look, there it is. Ah, I see it. Sin. But we must remember the same thing that happens in our hearts and in our spirits. According to this parable, doesn't please the Father either. Henry Nowen, who actually wrote a book about that, and I found out last service, the picture we just looked at was actually on the front. It's the front cover of that book. But he was a, he's a theologian. A minister, and God really spoke to him out of this passage. He wrote this. He says, looking into myself and then around me at the lives of other people, I wonder which does more damage, lust or resentment? There's so much resentment among the just and the righteous. There's so much judgment, so much condemnation and prejudice among the saints There's so much frozen anger among the people. Look at this. 
who are so concerned about avoiding sin. In other words, there's so much sin in those who are consumed with avoiding sin. Listen, you don't have to waste your life on wild living. There are sins of jealousy. There are sins of pride. There are sins of anger. There are sins of resentment. There are sins of unforgiveness. But they're much easier to hide. They're much easier. And we see all of a sudden them popping out of her once in a while, as we did in the elder brother. He was there. He worked the fields. He was taking care of dad's house. He was, you know, hey, dad, I'm a good kid. Look at me. I'm doing great. See, I'm doing this. But then when push came to shove, all of a sudden those secret sins started popping out. Again, the question is not, who is this in my life? Who is this in my church? Who is this in my family? The question is this, simply, is this God? Is this me? Do you find yourself speaking about sins and the mistakes of others more than anything else? You always love every time you get together, hey, did you hear about so-and-so? Did you hear about such-and-such? Can you believe that they would do this? But while you're doing that, you're harboring unforgiveness. You're harboring resentment. You have a harshness of spirit. You always seem to have a a word of negativity versus a a word of encouragement. You're judgmental to those who don't appear to be where you are. See, Jesus, this is what he's doing. He's pulling the curtains back on our lives because this this this, this is the Savior of the world. He cares about your life. Jesus came, died on a cross so that you could live an abundant life. He came that you could have life and to have life more abundantly. So if he allows us to continue in these patterns, we will never be the people that he paid for. I mean, when you look at what's the, what, is the, what was the price of you and me, it was, it was priceless. What Jesus is saying is, I want you to be what I paid for. I want you to be everything that I've made you to be. I've got to deal with these things in your heart. Oh, you'll never get there. You'll never be free to live a life of freedom. The third thing that the older brother syndrome is actually attached to is this. A faulty understanding of grace. The older brother was insulted because he really thought he deserved better than the younger son. He thought he deserved a fatted calf or at least a goat. He was offended because he thought his brother deserved less than everything he was getting. After all, he'd been serving in the fields. He He had kept all the rules. Just wasn't right. Just not right, Dad. And those who have an older brother syndrome, just for all of us here to examine ourselves is this. We are really good at keeping rules. We're really great at keeping rules. For some, maybe it's those who've been serving in the church for many years. And because you serve in the church, you're more concerned about what people, what you deserve versus most what you can give. Now there have been people serving in the church and you meet them and they're just so concerned about serving you and serving others. There's both sides of the coin. But this elder brother syndrome. Listen, I've had the opportunity of of serving in churches 
several in the United States, some in the UK, and there's always both. There's always elder brothers. You say, well, I've been here this long, so therefore, you can't do that. And there's a sense of entitlement. And here's, here's the problem with that. It's not, it's not to come down on an elder brother. The problem was this, is when you start talking about what you deserve, you leave the realm of grace and get into the area of human performance. And none of us are ever going to thrive there. Because you can do it. You can work and work and work and work and work. Notice the older brother, actually he'd run the numbers in his head. He'd already thought about this. He said, listen, Dad, I've done this, I've done that. And I haven't done that, and I haven't done that. And I sh- sure, sure in the world haven't done that. And so because of that, you owe me. This was the, this was the heart of the elder brother. He still wanted what the father had. He still wanted the the stuff from the father just like the prodigal son did. It's just his way looked a little better. He wasn't serving his father because of his love for his father. He was serving the father so he could actually just get what he wanted in the first place. He wanted stuff. His motive was no better than the prodigal son. They both wanted the father's stuff and not the father. This is... What Jesus is talking about. He's talking to these religious elder brother types. The older brother was just more cunning about getting it. It just looked better. And here's, here's my observation in my own life is that this. And people I know and we have honest conversations. There is an elder brother in every single one of us. So this isn't like highlighted that the Lord is sprinkling dust on those who have the elder brother syndrome this morning. This is actually for all of us, every single person in this room. You know, Jesus, in the story, he created two seemingly different pathways. One was the prodigal son. He just went off and did his thing. Someone experiencing God's grace, being overwhelmed because he knew he didn't deserve it. The other one was the elder brother who, who actually wanted the father's grace because he felt like he earned it. Well, Jesus actually speaks to the same problem. As you, as you notice these two contrasts, you will find them in, in the New Testament over and over and over and over again. Matthew 20, the same thing. Jesus tells the same parable about the, the nature of God's grace. It's a story of a master who sends workers in his vineyard. He agrees to pay them a dollar for a full day's work. So they start working at sunrise at 9. He sends more workers to hell. Then at noon, sends more workers. Then at 3, he sends more workers. And then just before quitting time, the, the whistle blows, and they walk over to get paid at 5. And he sends, sorry, then they walk over to get paid at the end of the day. And when they go to receive their wages, We pick up the story right here, and this is in the message out of Matthew 20. It says, call the workers and pay them their wages. Start with the last hire and go to the first. And those hired at 5 o'clock came up, and they were each given a dollar. When those who were hired first saw that they assumed they they would get more, but they got the same. Each one of them, one dollar. Taking the dollar, they said angrily to the manager, these last workers put in only one easy hour, and you, and you made them equal to us. 
who slaved all day under the scorching sun. Doesn't that sound like the elder brother? Like, what are you doing? Why are you giving them that, that money? Why are you doing that for him? And the master replied to the one speaking for the rest, friend, I haven't been unfair. We agreed on the wage of the dollar, didn't we? So take it and go. I decided to give it to the ones who came last, the same as you. Then I love this statement. Can't I do what I want with my money? Are you going to get stingy because I'm so generous? What's that? That's, not, that's my problem. That's not your problem. This is my money. I'll give it to whoever, whoever I want to. To understand this parable, again, the audience, they were tax collectors, they were sinners, they were Pharisees. They were hi- Pharisees were hyper-religious men who were full of their own sense of goodness. And Jesus is telling us, God the Father receives sinners. The Pharisees were trying to earn God's acceptance. And Jesus was teaching them they needed God's grace too. Every, both of them needs God's grace. The prodigal son and the older brother. We've known the Lord for years. Many of us have known the Lord for years. Maybe we have a proud sense of our religious purity. But the question is, have we forgotten what it's like to be lost? That now we think we deserve God's goodness. We forget of what happened, that why we came to church and how we were saved and where we were. And that we got saved by the grace of God. We got in for free, but we want everyone else to pay. That's the elder brother syndrome. God's grace is available actually to anyone who comes and repents. Remember the thief on the cross. I mean, he was at his last minute of life. And he says, Jesus, remember me today in your kingdom. And Jesus said, today you will be with me. He came in at 4.59 before the whistle blew. And he was saved. You you mean he's going to get the same reward as what I got? Well, I've been walking with Jesus since I was five years old. I put my dues. Listen, God's kingdom is not part of the union. There's no seniority here. Well, I have seniority, so I should get all fooey. Jesus levels the playing field. And that's what this parable is saying. The elder brother, he's the union boss, actually, is what he is. I'm not against unions, actually. I just, let me, let me just say that. Some of you are like, well, you should be, so I'm not even going to go there. I'm not against. So here's the question for, for you guys. Do you have a false sense of God's grace? Do you think God's grace is earned? Versus given. Three things. I'm going to move through very quickly. God's message to the older brother. Because, like I said, I believe there's an older brother in each of us. This is what Jesus is dealing with in this parable. It's always easy to think about other people in this type. But what about me? Could we stop, actually, for a moment, even in the middle of this message... And have the same heart as David. That we say this, all right, God, search me. 
and know my heart. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me to the way of everlasting. Could we do this for a moment? Maybe God's already revealing some of these things to you. But here's the beauty of God's message to the older brother. If you are that type today, maybe it's all of us. God has some tender words for us. Notice in the parable, the father doesn't get out there and say, listen, I'm, I'm sick of this adder. You get your butt inside before I, before I take you to the woodshed. He didn't say that. He says he tenderly pleaded with him. He took time. He began into his life. He began to meet him right where he was. You know, the reality is it's no fun living as an elder brother. I think sometimes elder brothers get overlooked because people just think they're, they're grouchy or they're complaining. But actually, they're hurting. It's no fun always finding out what's wrong all the time. It's no fun trying to earn God's favor by what I do and thinking God has to fit in this box. And if God doesn't fit in this box, then everyone else is, is crazy and wrong. It's no fun fighting all the time for your rules. There are three things that God is saying to all of us today. The first one is this. I treasure our relationship more than your work. This is what the father was saying to the son. He said, the father said this, which is this powerful statement. He said, son, you've always been with me. In other words, you are a part of me and I am a part of you. He was saying this, it's not your work that I cherish, it's you. Yes, I know, I know you've been doing great. You've been serving, you've been faithful, you've been obedient. But I don't, it's not your work that I cherish, it's you. How many of us, we, we try to, we come before God, I've been this and I've been this and I've been that and I've done this and I've done that. So... I'm going to ask you if you'll do this now. And we have this thing. We think it's just God treasures us because of our work. And that's not the case. This father totally blew that whole thing up. He says, I, it's not your work that I treasure. It's you. And that's God's message to you. It's not your work. It's you. There was a season in my life when I was really going through a transition of ministry and and I was like, and I felt like God was silent for, for a season. And I just couldn't hear what he was saying. I was like, God, come on, I, 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 want, I want this. And God, my dream is to do this. My, God, I know you put this in me and this, this. God, what are you trying to do? And I remember, God, what are you trying to do? And he answered as clear as a bell. He said this, I'm trying to teach you how to be a son. You, you want to be a worker. I want you to be a son. So why, why, why would God give me all these things to do when I don't even know why I do them? I spent my life working for him and laboring for him and coming to the end of my, my days and think, did I earn God's love? Did I earn God's, God's favor? Did I earn God? And God's saying, you had it all along. It's not your work that I cherish. God says to you, it's not your work. It's you. 
Second thing that God says to us today, us older brothers, you have access to all of my resources. Next, the father said to him this. He says, all that I have is yours. So he said, how come you never gave me a goat? How come you never gave me this? How come you? He was like, it's yours. If you would have asked me for it, I would have done it. A lot of Christians today, he says to us, listen, you're my heir. You you are in Christ. You're my joint heir with the son, Jesus Christ. You are in him and he is in you. And all that he has belongs to you. It's all available to you. And sometimes the older brother looks around and says, how come they get this? How come they get that? How come they are? And so they want to keep everybody else from trying to get And God said, what what are you doing? All that I have is yours. Because it's God's grace. You have not because you ask not. It's like the story of the man who bought a ticket from coming from Europe, coming to America. It's an old story. I've heard it several times, but it fits this Perfectly, he scrimped and he saved enough money to finally get on the boat and come to America. And on the voyage, he kept walking by the dining car and he'd peek in and he'd see all this food. Like, oh, that looks good. Then he'd go to his room and he'd sit down with his crackers and cheese and he'd eat his crackers and cheese. The voyage went along a little, more, a little longer and his crackers and cheese got a little stale. His cheese got a little moldy. And a day before he arrived in America, he was almost fainting from hunger. He finally swallowed his pride and he approached the steward and he said, listen, I, I, can I just have some leftovers? I'll, I'll clean the tables. I'll sweep the floors. I'll do whatever. I, I'm starving. The steward asked him, but can I see your ticket? So he took the ticket. He looked at it and he said, sir, when you purchase your ticket, all the food we have is actually included in the price. And the man felt like an idiot. All the time he could have been feasting while he was starving. It's the same goes with Christians. You didn't buy your ticket in the first place. Jesus paid for it. He bought your ticket. And everything you need in Christian life was included in that ticket. Everything of godliness and goodness Everything you need is included in this relationship with Jesus Christ. We just need to claim it. We need to ask God for it. All power, all the joy, all the peace, all the security, all the love, wherever you, whatever you're going through, it belongs to you. and You can access it today. Third one is this, the last one. It's my party. So come join me. This is what God says to his elder brothers. It's my party. So come join me. So come on. Your father was saying, son, you and I have to celebrate. Actually, this is what he was saying. Son, it's not the, el- the, the younger brother's party. This is my party. This is for me. My son that was lost is now found. 
I'm rejoicing. My party. Come join my party. We think it's, well, that younger brother. Forget all of that. What about the father's heart? What about what the father wants? What about... It says that Jesus was the Lamb of God that was slain before the foundations of the earth. So it was God's plan. And it says this, every time a lost child comes into a relationship with Jesus Christ, they throw a party in heaven. They celebrate. Man, they, hey, get the calf. Get the karaoke machine. We're going to have a good old time. And this is what they do. This is all part of it. Because why? It's not that person's party. It's heaven's party. It's the father's party. Because why he sent his son to die an agonizing death, he sees that price has now paid for that person. So it's been worth it. And he celebrates. It's at the center of his heart, the center of his mind. Everything, he, everything he's longed for is to see the lost person saved. And the elder brother stands outside with his arms crossed. And he says, I don't know if I like this. And the father says, but it's my heart. If you say you don't like parties for the lost, you're saying you don't like me. I believe God is positioning the church to turn their eyes from them to them. It's the whole understanding. Lift your eyes because the fields are white with harvest. Look around you today. Just look around. You see any empty seats? What party is going to be thrown in heaven for that seat right there? And that person is going to sit in that seat. And that person in that seat. And that seat. The lost prodigal son's coming back sitting there, sitting there, sitting there, sitting there. And all of a sudden, we become those who are looking to give heaven parties. The, the heart of the Father says, come on. Come join me. This is my passion. This is my purpose. The elder brother stands outside and says, it's not my way. It's not how I would have done it. No, 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 no. I don't want it done this way. And God's saying, listen, listen, I'm throwing a party with or without you, but I want you in my party. I want you engaged in my life. I want you with me. I want you walking this journey. And God has this beautiful, powerful plan. And he invites all the younger brothers, actually, to celebrate with him. My desire, honestly, is that I could get over me. And I could welcome the prodigal from a distance. And when the father smiles, I smile. When the father rejoices, I rejoice. When the father throws a party, I help him plan it. When the lost are saved, I'm initiating a celebration in our midst. We exist not to be the elder brothers. We exist to have the heart of the father to celebrate all those
who were lost. Jesus came for the sick. And when you get saved, yes, you're not always going to be perfect. Yes, you all have things in your life we've got to get over. But when we get saved, we're in. We're, we're going to heaven. Our life is secure. Come on. It's going to be a good time. But here's the other thing. That's, that's great. That's great. But what about all of those who aren't? What about the seats that are around us that could be filled with people whose destiny with hell was hell? But because of our love for them, because we're connected to the Father, because we, we knew who he was, they begin to come. And we begin to throw parties for the lost. And heaven joins us with great sounds, with great rejoicing. They get out everything. They pull out the spread. Why? Because we are partnering with God. In other words, if heaven throws a party every time someone is saved, I don't ever want them to stop partying. As long as hell is a reality. Church growth is not an option. Because the heart of the Father says, go and reach them. Go to the highways. Go to the byways. You're saved. Now begin to be the light for the prodigals. Welcome those who are home. Here's my question to all of us. Can you hear the music in the party? Can you smell the barbecue? Can you see the prodigals lining up and heading into the party and the Father embracing them? God's words to all of us. Come on in. Join the party. Because if you remember, I threw one for you. We hope that this message has spoken something personal to you. If you would like more information about our church family or service times, please call us at 303-424-2121 or visit us at our website, www.fbci.org. Faith Bible Chapel currently meets in our Family Worship Center, located on the corner of 62nd Avenue and Ward Road. Thank you.